0: my name's Rosie and I'm Lorraine and this is What If, the show that examines life's what if moments.
1: I guess it's all about those times when you find yourself at a crossroads and you have to decide what path you're going to take.
0: Yeah and for every path you choose there's one or two that you might have decided to leave behind and how does this change and affect your life?
1: Yeah, because we've all had those moments, haven't we? Well, in this podcast, we'll be walking that unbeaten path with an incredible lineup of celebrity guests asking them that all-important question, what if?
0: This week, we welcome Rob Rinder.
1: Now, Rob, of course, has got his own show on ITV, A Judge Rinder, where he sorts out disputes and, and gives really sound advice.
0: And we started by asking him, what if you'd stuck with acting rather than become a lawyer?
2: I think I wanted to be an actor because I was a show-off more than I had any meaningful form of talent, really. Mm. But I could fake it. That's the thing. So I did National Youth Theatre, which I had to be fairly good at. Mm. I was convinced, though, for years that my mum bribed them to take me. She'd just come into some money at that point. I'm still not unconvinced that she didn't. She promises she hasn't. Well, she didn't at the time. And I was a bit too young. Um, How old were you? About 14. Okay. And it's sort of super competitive, I did like the first year where you had to do a course and then the next year I played the lute. Mm-hmm. I got cast as Lucius in Julius Caesar with Chiwetel Ejiofor was Julius Caesar. No
0: way. He was amazing. Wow.
2: Brilliant people. I mean, Matt Lucas, who I still friends with and David Williams in other productions, Jude Law before me and then there was me and it was that difficult 15-year-old period where I'd sort of found eating Really, it's a way through. Early <laughs> pictures of me look like a slightly greasy Claire Balding. <laughs> and, um, but they gave me a lute. I can normally play instruments when I pick them up. And I had to sing for Brutus. So I was his manservant. And people were doing GCSE English. They'd busload them in. And most of them there, you know, giving the whole thing their aggressively undivided indifference, especially during the matinee. Mm. So when I finished singing my song, which off, from memory was called Da Sampan, now, of course, we'd be cancelled for cultural appropriation, almost certainly. They used to throw crisps at me and shout, fat bastard. And that sort of oh,
0: no.
1: oh, no. Oh, no, I was never worried about the
2: early days of Twitter, really. At least you could see their faces. I was never upset about it, really. I just Were thought,
1: you not?
2: No, no, not really. I mean, I just, you know, it's, always felt more sorry for them. Always have done, really. Anyone that's mm. got residual energy for unkindness poor loves. I mean, imagine, imagine being that person that shouts that out, what's wrong with you?
1: No, that's true. And also, mm. I mean, you very sadly recently were, mm. were mugged and they stole mm. your mobile phone. Mm. And your response was quite remarkable because you said you, you felt sorry for these young guys. Well, it's a who did disaster
2: that. for them. I mean, of all the people, first of all, it was £100 to replace it. It's a lot of money to be sure, but it was an inconvenience. Mm. But I think for a second the desperation you find yourself in to need to do that any way you look at it from whichever perspective sure there are other choices Want to be clear about that you have to go and do that most people do not but when you do come to do that there are a whole collection of reasons why you find yourself making that choice you know as we're talking about sliding doors i used to do really there are no unserious but serious gang cases cases involving murder terrorism and people often ask, what was it like to sit on the other side of the table? As you do, you have to build trust and empathy and build a relationship with your client. And in every single case, certainly in the cases of the murder, in every single case, you understood the series of human events that led them to be on the other side of the table. That's not to, in any way, excuse or even necessarily mitigate as to why they made very often a violent choice, but you could always understand the series of human events that had led them there. And often they were funny and interesting, talented, intellectually, culturally curious, charming, all of those things. But they'd made a whole series of different choices, a whole series of sliding doors, often ones that they hadn't necessarily been wholly in control of. Um, Different from, I should say, the real sociopaths and Psychopaths, many of whom haven't committed those violence of violent offences, those are the ones that we hear less about, the ones that have committed fraud, mm-hmm. international criminal money laundering, those sorts of things. And what's the difference between them? The difference, of course, is class and very often the colour of their skin.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how did you go from the National Youth Theatre to doing these massive cases?
2: It wasn't quite like that. I mean, I, wish I, mean... <laughs> sort of um, I don't know. Like, well, I mean, I, I I sort of was a bit. Intellectually indifferent as a best. So I didn't suit the condition of childhood very well, Rose. I didn't understand, didn't understand the point. Okay. I mean, this is a special creation. I mean, I didn't wake up sounding like this. If you met any of my family, right, they all sound very Southgate. I grew up down the road from Amy Winehouse. That's mm. more like what my family sound like. <laughs> and, you know, I would be taken to Hatfield House and all of these sorts of places. And I couldn't believe that they'd take me home. I thought the whole thing was absurd when clearly I owned the place. What was going on? And now I sound like I've been mugged by a Mitford. (laughs) But honestly, if you look at videos, it's not like I watched my 13-year-old bar mitzvah sale thinking, goodness me, I sounded different then. It was completely like I am now. Oppositional. Mm -hmm. So to that extent, I didn't really engage with school very well. My mum, I went to a a grammar school where everything was about sport. Mm. I think the mission of that school is a brilliant academic school. I mean, it, every year it comes top of the A-levels and has done for the last two decades. And it has a lot to be said for it. But certainly when I was there, it was at that p- moment of change where that was the mission. I couldn't care less, you know, couldn't catch a ball if it had glue on it. Mm. But <laughs> there were some role models there, including my um, the, my best friend in school was a school nurse. Says a great deal, doesn't it? Who I'm still friendly with. She showed up on Strictly. Mrs. Cornish loved her. She taught me like she treated me like an adult. So we'd sit, and she'd have a cigarette, and we'd talk about um, you know her marriage and this and that. It was sort of fourteen, and then I'd sort of might pop along to a lesson, but I could do the exams, you see, because they were all silly things, mm. you know. For me, I found them fairly easy. I mean, GCSE French ouvre la porte. What did the person want you to open? Mm. The picture of a fucking door. You know, I just swear. <laughs> I mean, like, you can do whatever you like. Oh, There's a you picture do- of a bloody door. <laughs>
0: I Is remember it, doing French and it was like, oh, I live in a house. I'm like, when am I going to say that? You, like, when would I say that?
2: Well, you might, not, if, you might if you, you know, somebody says...
0: Do you live in a house?
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, how do you say it then, Rhys?
0: I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> See, it didn't help. <laughs>
2: it's money well spent. You know. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, no, I mean, so there's a long answer to your question. Um, no, I didn't go from National Youth Theatre to the law. I uh, went to Woodhouse College, Sixth Form College, where I found my role model. And that's a huge sliding door moment and one that I imagine other guests of yours will talk about. The people that you meet, Mm. the ones that have the fingertips to the handle to the door that open it for you. But I met Mrs. Cry, she was amazing. And she, I mean, she, you you know, to meet her, she sort of, you wouldn't think anything of it, you know. Not my usual style, you know, a curly perm and sandals. (laughs) I mean, normally that would have lasted four minutes before. I would have, it, it wouldn't have worked well between the two of us but she was brilliant and she just said to me in that sort of slightly effortless way that somebody who sees entirely through you usually a relative you know my case is one person my you know, once they see through you mm-hmm. it's either over or you have to marry them
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true right. that's very true
2: <laughs> and uh, she said oh you're quite clever aren't you it's the first time anyone had ever said that mm. Right. So she, she saw you. She saw me.
1: Yeah, right. she saw you. Right. And that's really important. That doesn't happen all that often. Not really, does it?
2: Yeah, I believed her. And I wanted to meet her expectation. And I think that really matters. Mm.
0: I think it's different when it's not a family member telling you that. Sure. Because you're not used to it, I guess.
2: But I think we do that with all of our friends and our loved ones. Mm. I think you try to conspire to create the best expectations of your friends possible and when they don't live up to them that's fine but you want the very best for them and when you tell somebody that they're great and they can do things they tend to meet the promise of your thought for them and she you know exuded that she was amazing and so I started sort of it was like a switch went on wasn't actually terribly academic before then sort of all right average and it was honestly like somebody had Gifted me this whole world. And I started reading and became sort of really not academic, but seriously interested in learning from about 15, maybe. And then went to uni. And I I followed her. I mean, I would a year off and gone to Oxford. And but actually, Manchester at the time was happening. I'm the least cool person in the world. I'm like the gay that style forgotten. There was no cool. <laughs> but there was clubs and really she had done politics and modern history at Manchester. So I thought, well, go there because that's what she did and I fell in love with learning I was still in love with learning then and um, took it really seriously I did one play and I auditioned for a part and I've told this story before and it is true and I went to read and I thought I'd done okay and actually I could fake it right it was never real like I could feel myself imagining myself being the character but I had a go and then the next person got up and read the same part and I went oh yeah that's it just felt right in a way, you watch someone sing or perhaps paint, and you think again this sliding door moment. You think that's amazing, and that was Benedict Cumberbatch. I thought there was no point after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
1: I mean, he's really that good. He is fantastic, and a very, very, very good friend of yours. But you went into the law. What if you had stayed? Mm-hmm in the acting profession rather than the law. I just wonder about your parents' attitude. You know, my son, the lawyer, or my son, the doctor. that deal. kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's a really,
2: that's a really, as ever... I mean, I know I have like a quail fest, but you know, it's Lorraine, right? <laughs> it's a big deal for me. It never gets old. <laughs> I've had a sliding door moment the first time I was on your, your TV show. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but to your LGBTQ uh, audience... It's re- I get very emotional about it. It's really hard, perhaps, because you're just, I mean, you're just a nice mum and you're sitting here with gorgeous, very lovely and, you know, emotionally literate and charming, all the things you want. I mean, I'd have them if they turn into that. Mine wouldn't look like that or be like that. <laughs> they'd be on smack by 11. I'd enable them. I'd be a disaster parent. Yes, you're all wonderful. I mean, but you're a big deal for us growing up because there were no positive representations on television of LGBTQ relationships etc it was all cloaked in shame so when you intuitively could turn on the television even though it might not have been explicit but you could feel and then eventually in your case very early on you heard someone articulating that it was safe and okay to be gay it was a massive deal that moment where it began to be okay for you to be decloaked from the shame wasn't necessarily coming from your family certainly not in my case but just society at large And so your question is connected to that, which is that, you know, I was aware that was going to have to come out. Jewish family accepting pretty much and liberal and all of those sorts of things. But nevertheless, I certainly knew that it would have been easier for my mum to receive the news I was going to be a gay barrister than a gay actor or a gay writer. And that's the kind of cultural complexion of Judaism, of Judaism a sort of immigrant community as well that wants to get on. What is this? You know, it's not a secure job. And also it's bound up in fear from from parents as well who want you to have a safe, secure job. The reaction isn't necessarily one, in some cases, of homophobia. It's this learnt understanding, certainly when I came out, of of fear and terror about the violence that I might meet, about the diseases I might catch, etc. So yeah, saying I was going to be a gay barrister not the gay part, but being a barrister to yeah. some extent, sure. cushioned the blow.
1: Yeah, okay. Insofar
2: as it was a blow back then.
1: Yeah, and it and it was, and it's you forget actually all of that. You forget
2: and how you do, do you do, you right? do,
1: and how things have changed. Of course, mm. the law. I guess when you said, you know, you said you're a bit of a show off. You can do that. Sort get a sort of. of can you in the legal profession a little bit. I mean, certainly when we watch it on the, the telly or in movies, mm. you know, when we see amazing
2: actors, you can dress something.
0: up in a way. You can get a wig and like a little. No,
1: that's
2: outfit.
0: not why I did it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I once. I had, in fact, I'd, I'd finish. Uh, I, I did Camp America, you know, and I was yeah. a student, and I went to this Jewish camp. I'd never seen any sort of Judaism. Like it. there was kids walking around things like crucifix finkelstein and all of this sort of stuff it was insane Anyway, i sort of made friends and one of them or two of them came to stay in my house and i'd just become a barrister um and i want to be kind about this you know i haven't spoken to her for a while but i mean she wasn't the sharpest tool in anyone's box i would say but um i put on my wig because i just got it just to be about to be called to the bar and she said what is the point of that everybody can tell it's a wig <laughs>
1: very true. It's true. It's true. I've never told that
2: story. It's like,
1: true. Yeah, She's right. It's right,
2: yeah. yeah. Because you
1: just accept <laughs> it, that that's what you do, and right. then you think, but that's a bit daft.
2: It's not though, because it's about anonymity. It's funny yes. enough my mum came to watch me as I was prosecuting a case and being quite challenging mm. to, actually no, sorry, I was defending a case. It was about, a, my client had tried to kill somebody outside of a school. He was acquitted. And he said he didn't do that. He was running a case of self-defense. And he said that the alleged victim in the case had started it. And naturally and understandably, he said that she was, his case was that she was a violent, explosive person. And part of my job is to demonstrate his instructions and to persuade the jury that that might be true. Certainly if his liberty is to be deprived. And my mum came to watch me in court as I was cross-examining this woman. And I think she was grateful that I had the anonymity yeah. of the wig and the gown; that it separated me, the lawyer, from the person. Mm. Mm. And when I left, she said she wasn't quite sure whether to be deeply proud or deeply worried. Either yeah. way, but I did debating at university. That's how I ended up becoming a barrister. Oh, yeah. yeah. Walked into a uh, student, whatever it is. What do they have? That what do they call you? Know new fair things, freshest. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah yes. yes, yes. Yeah, and. There was a guy going. We're going to do debating. I thought, right, we'll do that, and we became really good at it. And everybody, that was my sport. Mm. I'm so cool. <laughs> I had almost no sex. At you know, I was talking about this the other day. Almost no sex at university. It was so <laughs> depressing. See,
1: everybody's everybody, suppose that's what they're
2: all supposed to be doing. I was Obviously, in not you, Lorraine. I know you should. I was in. There was parties. It was like people said, oh, the hacienda. There was music yeah. happening. What I went to the like the, the gay village sort of once. And had a shandy. I was pathetic. <laughs> I mean, talk about you know. At the end of this, I know you're going to ask me about my regrets. So I'm not going to include it, but I need an opportunity to say this now. I mean, I I just missed out. I didn't do it. no drugs, nothing. It was so it's doing, all going round. Same as mum, you. Well, I, this is
0: what she, she tells me. This, but no, that's true. No, it was that.
1: things were going on in Glasgow, and I had.
2: No idea. I was debating. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody went to the bar at that point. So I've met this guy who's called Rob Garst, who's now a big lawyer in America, an extraordinary person. Um, And um, the two of us sort of did international debating uh, against other universities, often, of course, against the great Scottish universities where debating is
1: a huge
2: huge tradition. You know, um, the three in Edinburgh, Glasgow, they often win the world debating championships. And Strathclyde, three Mm. big ones. Really, really good traditions of getting on your hind legs and persuading people and then that's how I ended up at the bar I hadn't even seen a trial by the time I ended up at the bar it's impossible to think of that now it would be impossible for an applicant to even think about doing it and um, all of these again you see these series of like you don't want these chance meetings that led to me um, representing people in court
1: course, we know you as mm. Judge Rinder mm. on telly. How? You know, what if that hadn't happened? Was that something that you desperately wanted to do? Was it? No. So? No. No, no, no. 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 No.
2: No. That's. I mean, that's a full-on. Really. Random as random could possibly get. Oh. So, I had a lot of luck early on in my career. Luck. Luck plays an important role, but you have a power and a capacity to curate hmm. the position you find yourself in, which you can assist with that luck. In my case, I was doing really serious work quite young. So, about, how old are you now, love?
0: 26. So lovely.
2: Sorry. (laughs) It's just just lovely. Anyway. um, Yeah, so I was your age, actually a bit younger, when I was junior counsel in what was then the biggest murder trial of the year. So... It's terrible case of two young women who had been killed outside a hairdresser's on New Year's Eve. Letitia Shakespeare and Charlie you Remember that? Oh, I
1: remember that. Yes, I do. Two
2: thousand and four. Mm. Right. So it'd been very little.
1: Yeah.
2: Very interesting case for a variety of reasons and an important one. But uh, the reason I got that case is because I'd been, you know, jobbing barrister, and one influential solicitor saw me. And that particular day, I'd done my job, which you know was an important one, where I'd given a police officer a rather difficult time who you know had not followed the law i'll put it that way ultimately my client was acquitted correctly uh, in my view and then i got a series of these high profile cases and then from there again it builds right especially if you throw in this other complexion this other dynamic of ambition and Putting it first, often at the expense and cost of other relationships. Certainly in my case, I pursued it and networked. And I wrote a book about money laundering. It's a veritable thrill ride. I don't advise any of your listeners to. (laughs) The publisher said, Well, would you like to dedicate it to anyone? I said, Just tell people not to operate heavy machinery. (laughs) (laughs) But from there, I ended up doing international criminal cases. Pretty serious work. And at that time, I'd begun to become depleted on around that time again about making luck i was sort of because you have to keep going was writing doing other things right so i was writing these tv ideas they weren't for me to be on tv i must emphasize with sort of friends that i'd made over the years and we were going to bring back crown court oh i loved crown court right
1: I've never seen it so I don't know what it
2: is. Oh, it was so cool because it was real people were the jurors,
1: weren't they? Right, that's it. I mean that was that was right. the, the unique thing about it. It was actors being the the, the lawyers and the, the so it was all made up. Extremists. Yeah, but the real people decided whether or not they were guilty, didn't they? Right. I'd love to have that. Man. I know.
2: It's I think the problem is nowadays at a time when reality TV hadn't necessarily taken root. Yeah. And I think there was a sort of, you know, wonder whether people would respond to actors. I think they might. I mean, anyway, I we, we thought it was a good idea. A good idea. And um, I never know who anyone is in television. And as you know, I don't give a monkeys or I don't care who's in I mean, you know, <laughs> you know I've, but anyway, this particular, I mean, I only met her once, but um, she said it was the worst thing I'd, she'd ever read. This was a meeting. And I went back to Croydon to do this case and I sent her a thank you email. I read her novel on the journey back to court. And I wrote a little review of her and she said, it was nice to meet you. There's a guy who wants to make a TV show, a court show. Will you go and meet him? In Manchester. And I, well, yeah, I've got to Manchester had her lunch. And honestly, she put it on telly. Now, let me, you know how random that is, Yeah, right? of course, yeah. I mean, this is impossible. I, this was like January and she put it on in, in May. And I didn't believe, because it's telly and I need to emphasise this, you shouldn't say this because, you know, you're the nation's sweetheart, but I can. Um <laughs> People in television, I've never seen, you know, Los Isley Space Court, which is the beginning of Star Wars. Yeah, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's a moment when, I mean, I'm, you know, for the nerds out there, you'll know precisely what I'm about to say. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi turns, I think, to Luke Skywalker and says, never have I seen such a hive of scum and villainy. (laughs) Bearing in mind... (laughs) But I used to work in some of the highest security prisons and in international law, including applying for international extradition warrants for some of the worst people that have walked the face of the earth. Mm. In terms of the kind of emotional dynamics of people in television, I've certainly met similar types. Mm. One of the other things about it is that in television, what happens is that nobody, there's about one person that makes a decision. And often, in fact, more than once I've been in meetings where if I'm bored, I'll just sort of have fun with the whole thing. But, you know, one person makes a decision, the rest of the people are, well, what they do is they try to politically position themselves to avoid any of the responsibility in the, thing, in the event that things go wrong and to mm-hmm. claim all the credit in the event that everything's a hit, which I could see sort of straight away, right? So sort of, this is hilarious. So I didn't trust a word anybody was saying, and I think it's very important in tell like one or two people you can rely on, you cling on to them. You know, those are your brain's trust and you you, you really hold on to those relationships. But otherwise, I mean, it's television, right? Mm. So I didn't believe a word anyone was saying. And I took a brief in Jersey, little known but an important case. It was the Jersey Independent Care Inquiry where they were looking back over 50 years um, of historic child abuse Yes,
1: I remember that. They were very, very Mm -hmm. concerned
2: because there was no separation between Mm. the prosecutorial and legislative branches of government. In other words, there's a small place you know, the people who were running the inquiry, also the legislator. So they need an independent person right. okay. to have access to all of the documents to give them to the judge. And I was in charge of writing the policy and all of that stuff. That was the last job I did. And then I flew over to Manchester and there was the court. I swear, you know, people don't believe in TV. They're like, I couldn't. Mm, yeah, what? I mean, <laughs> genuinely. <laughs> I thought. And, uh, you know, I sat down in case number one, you know, a woman was suing a, a wedding photographer and she'd bought this other woman with her and said, oh, I'm so glad you've brought your mum to court. That's my sister. <laughs> Yikes. Right. <laughs> but also, it was a... Da- but then case number two, and, and this is when I sort of fell in love with the team and making the programme realise how important it was. Um, because we're really regulated by Ofcom, I mean, I know there's an element of pantomime in some of the cases, but if you come and sit and watch a day of court, we'll have six serious ones and two which are, you know, about a goat eating the contents of a woman's handbag. Mm. Difficult law in that, by the way. Anyway,
1: can we talk to you about oh, yeah. something that's uh, lots of sparkles, isn't oh, yeah. it? Yeah. And uh, glittery balls. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. Glittery balls. Um, yeah, strictly. Mm. What if you hadn't done strictly? Because, I mean, you just shone. I've never seen anybody on any tele show ever
2: no. having such a great time. Because no one died, Lorraine. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It was such a thrill. I was like, this is great. You know, I mean, first of all, it's easy because there was like no expectations. You low you know i mean i was obviously as i am often in these things hard to be the the camp joke act a bit and yeah i mean i did that on that you know the uh when i ran across africa and we were originally supposed to go to the 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 tundra of somewhere in mongolia and they put me in the ice bath because you know they wanted john inman on steroids they're waiting for the the yelping poodle moment of course i don't do that no Bugger off, you know. Yeah. Mm. I'll decide how. Whereas strictly, I mean, it was just great. It was absolutely brilliant. I mean, they put a camera in your face and they try to make you nervous, which I was in the first oh, week. Oh, I don't know mm. how you. Do I didn't it, want to look honestly. like well, I didn't want to look like an idiot. But at the same time, pff, no one died. But it was really, <laughs> really. And um, I asked. I mean, obviously that I was saying just like being in here. There was these spotlights, and first week, uh, you know, you, you have to record all of this pre-title stuff and. Mm you know, I was just repeating rote fashion what this young producer was saying to me. So I found myself looking down the camera and saying, my whole life, all I've ever wanted to do is get to Blackpool. <laughs> I was like, what? Do <laughs> 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 you me, know, I mean, a nice night out and all that. But yeah, it was... Well, I don't know what would have happened. I just had a great time.
1: Oh, it's not it's a great experience. And then, of course, you mm. were Lumiere. You know, in Beauty and the Beast when you mm. and you won.
2: Let's not go mad about that. I mean... But you won. You won. My agents um, had a melt. They were very unkeen for me to do it, to say the very, very, very least.
1: It was what was it called? Celebi- no, oh, I what don't was it
2: bloody got- know. I mean, the point about it was that <laughs> bearing in mind, I mean, I suppose one of the challenges I just wanted to. I mean, I, after the uh, series of documentaries I made, the, the work I really want to make moving forward is facilitating ways of getting people to tell their stories, mm. especially where there's any kind of conflict.
1: Well, the Who Do You Think You Are one was incredible.
2: Thank you. And and the
1: documentaries you did as well. And we've got to hear these stories while we still can. You know, this is the thing.
2: But also it's a way of communicating with people afresh. And I think that's more urgent than ever. It's not just your generation, but the younger generation too, Mm. uh, which has, I think, become a kind of great big social affliction. That years ago, you and I might really vehemently disagree politically about something but th- those political views would sit in the part of our minds where perhaps the logic was governed and as long as we were respectful we could agree to disagree and meet the next day and that would be that for a variety of reasons chiefly I think driven by social media and the ways in which we've come to communicate with each other your political points of view your attitudes towards certain things in the world I don't think a, I don't think that they sit anymore exclusively in that part of the brain. So consequently, deploying logic, even facts, aren't necessarily going to persuade people. And worse still, because they're in the emotional hemisphere, they sit where your identity is governed. So consequently, if I perhaps suggest that you might be wrong about something, that's an attack on your identity Mm -hmm. and is understandably threatening. And so I think perhaps one of the ways we can improve that, and I've noticed that it's helpful, is when you're having a discussion where you disagree with someone really seriously, there's three elements to it. The first one is to say, look, I've heard what you've had to say and really do the difficult listening and mean that you've heard Mm. what they've had to say. The throat clearing is the, these are the facts that I have, which are directly opposed to your point of view. And I think that you're wrong, but I'd like to tell you a story and I think nowadays those stories have to come first. Often when you're trying to change somebody's mind about a deeply held view that they have, the human story is the starting point and then getting out the way. So I wanted to tell those stories, you know, be there about Israel Palestine, be there about really challenging issues. And obviously we told the stories of, of the survivors in the Holocaust, for example. So that was a real privilege. So I want to make more work like that. But you know, the people that were, and I understand why, they were very concerned that I did, you know, mm. dressing up looking like Freddy Krueger's camp uncle.
1: But you should be allowed <laughs> to do that. You should be allowed to do I all know, of these things. I know, but people
2: want you to be one thing in this yeah, You, you, know, you, you can. can't be serious. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I mean, I, I originally was going to do I am what I am. and it was going to be an homage to you. This is true, by the way. <laughs> Tell. Seriously. So they were—they wanted me to do the Rocky Horror, what's it called? Rocky Horror. Oh, the Rocky oh, horror,
1: horror show, show yeah, 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 yeah. But
2: it was just shouting. And during lockdown, I, I mean, I've, I play music and sing to my flatulent dog. And that's it. But said, I take it quite seriously. I like to sing and, mm. and do it fairly seriously. And um, I was like, I'm not doing that. And then they came back. They said, you can do I am what I am or be our guest. I'd never really heard it. I got the cheap music, started plonking. like oh, that's a bit boring. I'll do that. Or I am what and, and I am. Th- and then they said, I didn't really read the small print because it's telly. So, pff, <laughs> I mean, the contracts <laughs> don't mean anything. Just pages and pages of nonsense. <laughs> So, really but, but I, and I, I thought it was like X Factory thing. It was just going to be a thing from a musical. Um, they had to do the actual scene. So then I realized that I was going to have to wear drag. Right. And I sort of, mm. I think I was worried about the politics surrounding it. It's not my thing. And it felt like I was co opting it. But then I spoke to this great director who was going to be running the whole thing. I loved the song. I thought, I wonder if I could do a Lorraine Kelly. So it, you narrowly missed out on that. I was going to do yeah. I am what I am, inspire, I mean the wig the lot.
1: As me as a good as you, what if. Oh,
2: that's a good what if. That is a good what if. I'm still planning to make it happen okay. one day. Right, okay. I'm really yeah. serious about this.
1: <laughs> uh, I love it. I think I'm it be really, wonderful.
2: <laughs> Even they say, you know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Yes. Although that's a sentence that you never thought you would wake up in when you hadn't been taking some unfortunate medication. Somebody, for, you know, for, imagine Lorraine um, Judge Rinder um, is dressed up as you singing "I am what I am." Well,
1: if you do me, I'll do you.
2: <laughs> this is a comic relief waiting to
1: happen. <laughs> it
0: would be great. I would love it. Absolutely love it. So we're ending each episode by asking our yeah, guests um, what their biggest fail, win, and regret is. So mm. it's time for you to tell us.
2: Uh, so I've been thinking about this. is a really difficult one. My biggest fail. Mm. My biggest fail is not having so far been able to sustain a long-term mutually loving relationship. That doesn't include friends. Mm -hmm, Right. That's my biggest win. Yeah. So my biggest win is the privilege of having unconditional love from my family and from my chosen family of friends.
1: Mm. But you, but the thing is, when you're least expecting it, that's probably when you will meet somebody. When you're least
2: people expecting say it. that sort of no, thing. No,
1: it's true they do, yeah. and actually, when you're not so hard on yourself as well, when you think you deserve it, do that's you think when that's it'll true? Yes, I, I mean, do. I, I do. Do you?
2: Yeah. Really? I don't know. I mean, I. The,
0: They're not expecting it definitely, mm.
2: and and of course you have to, you know, re-curate your expectations. I mean, it turns out there are very few, gay scaffolders that Proust. I'm going to put it out there.
1: <laughs> Is that the ideal failure?
2: That or you've nabbed him. I mean, you you you, you were I mean, cameramen.
1: Yeah.
0: Just yeah.
2: putting it out there. They are the scaffolders of the television world.
1: Are. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right.
2: Honest oh. because it's in the camera, right? They're usually sort of artistic and see the world in a very confident way. I just yeah. You could be kind of enveloped. In a cameraman. It did take
1: know. me. It did take me a, a long year, though, to persuade him.
2: What? So you know, you like
1: dad, and he did. Did he like you? He liked me. Yeah. You were definitely. scary because you were talented. <laughs> you I think with. we were. We were both. Yeah, we both knew. Mm. But it just took us a wee while to get there.
2: But did you go? on... I mean, because this is pre. What's it called? iPhone. Oh, very yeah. much so. So, what did you write? Letters? Was it before the
1: internet? Oh, way before the internet, we had a telex. Uh, I mean, it was really pretty, sort of. Yeah, it was. It was. It was not. So, where
2: was your first date?
1: Uh, he took me to see Dundee United against Hearts. That sounds like hell. It was <laughs> yeah. really good fun, but I had to get very, 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 very drunk. We did. But uh, <laughs> with your, his friends as well. No, no, we we were in Glencoe and we were doing a mountain rescue Mm -hmm. and all the mountain rescue boys taught us how to do Alabama Slammers which is tequila with Mm -hmm. sparkly water or something and then you bap it, you bop bop it on the bar and then drink it Um, and he just got terribly drunk and I got on him like a ninja That's
0: gross (laughs) (laughs) I didn't need to know that
2: Well it worked and here you are Yeah Nah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh geez. What was the last one? Oh, the regret.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, you see, that until last year would have been a challenging one. And I it's interesting you're asking about strictly. My regrets are all about not delighting in the moment.
1: Ah, uh-huh. mm-hmm.
2: you might be doing something so wonderful, and you know kind of objectively it's wonderful, because people are saying how amazing it is. But you're disconnected from the delight of the experience. And so all of my regrets are about looking back and um, re-remembering that I'd forgotten to enjoy it they're always that
1: mm. oh I think that's su- such wise could listen to you for hours wise and sound advice thank you, mm. thank, no, you so a- thank you so much it's been an old. absolute
2: joy and oh, no, it's been a double joy